G'day, welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Merch, producer and host of Episode 1 is here right now. Our feature guest, author, singer-songwriter Holly Throsby. From the archives, Doctor Who star who played Joe Grant, Katie Manning. You might be listening through digital FM or AM thanks to the radio stations across the globe or may have downloaded as a podcast and or streaming via numerous podcatcher apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Podbean, Radio Public, Castro, Acast. There are numerous others, including the shiny new radionodespodcast.com. That website is also where the show notes for each episode will be, like a one-stop shop to all the information and links spoken about within our 55 minutes together. 55 minutes, yep, to allow for news, weather, messages and the like for the wireless folk to slip on within an hour. Due to the copyright, there is only music I've commissioned or got explicit ability to share. So if there is no other business for the hour, broadcasters might slip in a relevant tune or two. On music, the licks you heard at the top and will be throughout, including to round out the episode, are from Martin County and All India Radio. More on them at allindiaradio.com.au. In fact, this week, I say cautiously as a more time of release of this as a podcast, their latest, Undulated, was released through Dynamo Tapes out of Brooklyn, New York. Those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. That's the one-liner on what this is all about. One of the most important expressions of musicians' life is through their music that can be listened to, and one of human nature's most engaging aspects is music in their life. As for more, there are both some archives and new chats that are broader than the one-line descriptor. I'm confident my podcast teacher will say the grounds are not niche enough. And for a huge audience, I'd agree. Never been about large numbers, though. You're there and hope each episode provides a nugget or three for your precious time. Thanks for listening to here. Being numero uno, this is a long intro to set the scenes. Having spent over 25 years as a broadcaster of live radio, on March the 5th, 2017, I called it a day, put up my headphones, to not just focus, but give my time to two more important aspects of my life. Stated what they were back then, to keep tone light now, we'll share more on episode 9. That date, the 5th of March, 2017, is important though, as 12 hours before crossing to the BBC at 11.59 and 59 seconds, I was recording a chat at the Adelaide Writers' Week with author and songwriter Holly Throsby. End has a start, to paraphrase editors, the band. Throsby, back in 2004, released an album called On Night. I adored it when it came out. With great excitement a few years later in 07, at the Rocks in Sydney on Australia Day to hear tunes from it live, it was a magical day as the sun hit off the water near the Harbour Bridge. Remember also the importance of release played of my post-university days. Also on the free bill for the day, the Audreys, Alex Lloyd, the Whitlams, siblings Angus and Julia Stone, and following Throsby on stage, Josh Pike. All wonderful names with equally great Where Are They Now yarns. Little later, we'll share the feature chat with Holly Throsby, who has now released numerous albums and two books since. Also speaking of the past, we'll dive into the archives. I don't like the, the onomatopoeia of Ms, but I do like Miss. I think it's rather sweet. Today, a star of Doctor Who on their move down under and hitching up with an Aussie icon and one that sung the Neighbours TV theme, Barry Crocker. Been talking for a while now, which is unusual, as usually in radio, throw to a tune or a sponsor. 
Great time to mention, though, there are no sponsors or adverts within the podcast part of each episode. That means if I mention something, there's no payola being slipped into my top pocket or back one for that matter. Hope is this will give more freedom to mention brands and, of course, recommend music without you needing to think some green exchanged or Bitcoin invested. Of course, if you want to get a website from Squarespace while you're eating your Blue Apron meal on a Casper mattress, I'm not going to say you shouldn't. I'm also not going to say you should. Apart from a few reports for North America, this is the first major outing for my voice that I lost in May of 2017 and still working to get it fully back. So it may crack in some of the chats. I've tried to reduce that effect where possible through unlike other mediums of this type and not editing chats to the bare bones. There'll be long form chats, especially with the feature chats. Future episodes will also not have as much lead in as I'm doing right now. The first 10 episodes are developing ideas and getting a feel for the format. Thanks for coming along. On that, if you know of a guest like to hear from or information think I need to know, there's a contact form on the show's website, radionotes.com, or you may like to email direct at radionotes at writeme.com. That's R-A-D-I-O-N-O-T-E-S at W-R-I-T-E-M-E dot in the box. Speaking about email, let's go in and find out what's been sent in the last couple of days. I am very wary that uh, the podcast itself and even the broadcast may need to have a timely factor to it. So I'm very cautious of what I mention in terms of promoting up and coming shows. But I'll let you know what's in here right now as I speak. Lizo, Atlantic Records wants you to know about. Juice is the new single out now. Previous single Boys were named Top 10 Songs of 2018 by Time Magazine, they say, and Best New Music on Pitchfork. They've also been announced for Coachella 2019's lineup. Another email here from Becky Cole's team at Universal Music. There's a brand new single from her album Lioness out. It's called Wine Time. Wine Time is the unforgettable night out they'll be talking about for years to come, says Universal Music of Becky Cole's new one. This one from Sony Music, Bring Me the Horizon Medicine is the brand new single from them. They say globally renowned UK rock act Bring Me the Horizon are set to release their sixth album, Amo, on January the 25th following the release of the new single Medicine, which I just mentioned then to you, their most pop-orientated track to date. That's three of the in the box for this week let's leave it at that because it's only episode one we still have a chance for you to send in yours radio notes at writeme.com a part of the episode i'm very keen to share with you every week is likely to fizzle after its first week because depending when you listen to the podcast and or when it's broadcast it's not going to necessarily have much relevance but it's so much fun best things I used to do on breakfast radio between the hours of 6 and 7 a.m. It's a bit of a on this day. On the day of January the 11th, I'm going today, England's first recorded lottery took a punt that was back in 1569. William Herschel in 1787 discovered Uranus had two moons called Titania and Oberon. And the first use of insulin for treatment of diabetes was in 1922. This is back on the day of January the 11th. Died on that date, Pope John VI, First Premier of New South Wales, Stuart Donaldson, Member of the Legislative Council of Quebec, William Sawyer. On a happier note, the birthday's born on January the 11th, the date of note picked for this episode, Dutch-German painter Diana Grubel, suffragettes Alice Pohl, and the bloke that did not ride horses, 
Daryl Braithwaite. Speaking about music and original at that, let's hear from our feature guest. Holly Throsby's first solo album, On Night, was released back in 2004. Currently in studio with Sarah Blasco and Sally Seltman, they're working on the highly anticipated second album from Seeker Lover Keeper. Most recently, working on two books, Cedar Valley and Goodwood, Throsby has shone as an author, while also releasing a new album after many years, After Time, that features What Do You Say, a haunting duet with Mark Kozalek of the Red House Painters. Previous albums include Team, See, A Loud Call, Under the Town, and the aforementioned On Night. Releasing of music had taken a backseat until the novel Goodwood was released in 2016. Let's join John and Holly Thrusby as they chat seated on a hill with view of the Women's Memorial Garden in the Four and Neil Finn sound-checking across the road in the heart of Adelaide. Holly Thrusby joins us on Radio Notes. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Was it the book that was the catalyst for a new album to be done? In some ways, yes, because I had lost my feeling for playing music for a time and... I think I just needed to do an entirely different creative project. I think I'm somebody musically who feels like what I do musically kind of is what it is and I didn't think it was time for me to, for example, release a dance record or something. You know, Like I wanted to do something creatively really different and I'd done a children's album and that was really fun and really different and I'd worked with Seeker Lover Keeper and that was different again but musically... I feel like I am just kind of myself and so I I did feel like I needed a different medium in which to work and so writing a book was that thing that I'd always wanted to do. So writing that novel and completing Goodwood, which is the novel that I wrote, made me feel like I could go back to music and and find a fresh feeling there. I'd lost a little. The brand new album is called After a Time, which by that very answer, it has been. And so these live shows, how are you feeling as a musician if we were to see you in a couple of weeks or a couple of days? Oh, it's... Well, I haven't done it for so long. I mean, we haven't started the tour yet, so it's... But it's so exciting to be rehearsing. Like, oh, we had a big rehearsal in Sydney just the other day, and I have an entirely new band, and it's a four-piece band, me and three others, and it's it's so exciting for me. Like, I, I felt really kind of nervous going into rehearsals just because it's all new people. And but one of the people is Tim Kevin, who produced co-produced this record after a time and played guitar in it, and then a bass player called Abel, who played bass on On Night, my very first album, and a drummer called Holly Connor, who's a really awesome young drummer from Sydney. So I feel really excited to play live again. As we speak right now, Neil Finn is doing a sound check literally across the road. can hear the combination of Neil Finn and a really beautiful writer who's on the writer stage um, called Armando Lucas Correa, who I can hear his voice in the background as well. So yeah, these two amazing men are kind of bookending me right now. I don't know Neil, but I did, I did cover one of his songs for that Crowded House tribute CD called She Will Have Her Way years ago. And then we did a concert series called They Will Have Their Way, which did come to Adelaide. That was a really amazing thing to be part of. And he did send me a really nice email about my version of his song, which was good because some people hated it, I think, but he liked it. We've so recently had this thing, Beck Sandwich. Oh, I heard about Beck Sandwich doing a John Farnham cover and getting a lot of 
for it. Yeah. I mean, man. I like, mean, Johnny Farnham just goes, yeah. Good on anyone who covers songs. If someone did a, like, I mean, for example, a band called Kiss Chasey covered one of my songs called Under the Town. And it's like this crazy, like, kind of punk version of it. But, like, that's so cool to me. And for me as an artist, it's always a kind of... Yeah, it's, I mean, I've had a couple of different artists cover my songs, and it's such a, it's so flattering. Like, and it's you've so done lovely. the Red House Painters, haven't you? And that that became somewhat of a, a musical relationship. Yeah, I did cover a Red House Painters song called Mistress, and I also did Berlin Chair by UMI for like a version. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, both Mark Kozlek and Tim Rogers were both really appreciative. I think it's a compliment to an artist to to cover their song. And then yeah, I can't remember when it was that I did that cover of Mistress either before or after that I toured with Mark Kozlek. We actually played here in Adelaide at the Grace Emily together and Mark lost his shit that night because something happened with the sound guy and the reverb level or something and it was actually an awkward night. And Clanger, who was running it at the time, everyone handled it very well. And, you know, Mark is a really intense, interesting person and he does, yeah, he appears on a song on my new record as a, as a duet and that was a great honour to, to have him sing on that song. The idea that a narrative can be interpreted, and you have found this now as an author as well, that narrative can be interpreted in its own way, particularly even of the lyrical form as well, that song is going to have many interpretations over the years. The less you talk about it, the longer it's going to go. Yeah, I think that it's definitely a song that people see in different ways. Some people have commented to me that they didn't necessarily feel that the two people should be together in the song because it's a relationship song between the couple. To me, it's kind of a, a sequel to Would You, which was a song, a duet that I did with Bonnie Prince Billy, which is a very romantic kind of, like, utterly romantic song. And this is kind of the 10 years later song when you've probably had kids and you're tired and older. and um, Oh, that girl's having a hard time. Sorry, we're near a children's tent and the kids are, kids are losing it. I'm happy with for people to think what they will about that song. I think it does have a lot of tension in it and I think Mark Kozilek's voice, you know, delivers that kind of tension so beautifully. Just through his performance, which is always so full of everything, <laughs> so full of, of, of feeling and... He's not kind of in one gear. He, he has a lot of depth, I think, to his voice and performance. And he's also, just finally on this, someone who gives his voice to a lot of different projects and collaborations, but every time brings something unique to what he offers, for example, in in your song as well. Has that been somewhat of a a good feeling to have working with him, that you know that you're getting something unique, even though he might have been around to few different houses yeah although I'm not actually aware of him duets as so as such I hadn't I haven't not that I not that I'm aware of but he definitely does a lot of collaborations and like the collaboration stuff I think he does is just so amazing and interesting and he he's I think he's an incredible artist I mean he's in terms of covering songs he releases you know a whole album of ACDC covers and a whole album of Modest Mouse covers and really that the one the record that he does of Modest Mouse covers I think is so good like it's really beautiful and to be honest I've never been that into Modest Mouse but all the lyrics are just brought out in these really new melodies and it's so beautiful so I think he's just someone who produces a, a great amount of work and he's really interested in constantly making work which is something that I'm interested in as well. Currently in conversation with Holly Throsby, author as well as musician. We're going to get on to the book called Goodwood because we are here at the Adelaide Writers Week. When you sat down with the idea of writing a book, did you think 
you actually had that book in you at the time? Yes and no. I knew I had the desire to to write a novel, but I didn't plan it out before I wrote it, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen in it. And I had some ideas of, for character and setting, but I mainly thought that I, I lacked discipline because songwriting is really different. It's so different. And then making a record is an extremely intensive process, but compared to writing a novel everything feels short to me. I mean, novels take a really long time and they take a really sustained level of um, focus, which having not written anything beyond a, you know, probably a 3,000-word essay when I was at university, I had never written anything as big. And so it was sort of about the stamina to keep with it was something I wondered if I had. But the thing that surprised me about writing fiction was that I felt very quickly that this world was real to me. Like the world of Goodwood, the town and the people felt very real very quickly. And then I, once that happened, I felt more confident that I wanted to see it through and see them through and to work out where they were going and what was going to happen to these people. In terms of that character development, you've already spoken about there is another one on the way. And that decision, I guess, you've got of whether or not you go back into the same world or there's a connection between the two worlds. Where's that sitting as we speak, March 2017? It's sitting in a way that I really love the idea of, of fictional worlds that cross over and reference each other and in all different mediums, whether that be TV shows or films or books. I really like artists who reference their own work and who kind of create a universe of itself and then can kind of visit that or revisit that. It's a long-standing tradition in literature from Thomas Hardy on. There's an author I really like called Kent Haruf. I think that's how you say his name, but he, he sets all of his novels. He's at, he actually died recently, but he set all of his novels in a fictional town called Holt, Colorado. And all the, I mean, the novels are all different stories, but I just love that idea of a place that feels more and more real because more and more work is sort of generated around it. And for me, there's always been aesthetically all my albums, covers have a, the same font and the same border. So for me, my musical world is... I like to kind of relate my musical world to itself. How important is that consistency, maybe in the musical sense at that point, of having that? The aesthetic consistency? Aesthetic consistency. Oh, totally important to me. Like, I just knew that I would do that all along. Uh, to me, it, I wanted to make a body of work. That's what I wanted. Like, when I was a kid and I went into the, the CD shop and the, the music shop, like... You know, they had the little tabs and you'd see the band name or the artist name and then you'd flip through the tab and I wanted to have a tab and I wanted to have a bunch of stuff in there. Like, not just one thing, I wanted to... I always knew that I wanted to make a lot of records and so I wanted to connect them and for that intention to seem deliberate, I guess, which it is. But writing the new novel, it's set in a different town but the town is, is already referenced in Goodwood. It's a town called Cedar Valley, which is south of Goodwood, and it's an entirely, you can read it on its own, you don't have to have read Goodwood to enjoy this book, but I hope that readers of Goodwood will enjoy it more because of these things and will get pleasure in, in the sort of self-reflexive kind of elements of it. What is, if there is at all, the difference of turn of phrase between writing a song and writing a novel? It's just entirely different in terms of prose... I think you need to establish, you know, you need to establish voice in a novel and then you need to sustain that voice throughout the entire novel, whereas songs are all kind of distinct and self-contained. So I, you can switch really between different voices. And I have used, you know, I have explored 
a lot of fiction in my songwriting but people just wouldn't know that though I think everyone just assumes that I'm writing about myself all the time which I'm not <laughs> but I mean I sometimes am and that's a lot often filtered through my own experience but it's often about other people or it's about just different kinds of things that I'm thinking about at the time yeah the turn of phrase is definitely different although I do think there is an inherent rhythm in writing prose I mean I think all good writing is about rhythm so I definitely would apply my own internal feeling of rhythm to writing prose Let's pick up on that point that songs aren't necessarily all about yourself, but sometimes they can be stories maybe for those that don't have a voice or for those you want to give a voice to. Yeah, sometimes it's that. And I've actually been experimenting with that exact thing just recently in two new songs that I've just written recently that I haven't released yet because I feel strongly about certain things that are happening in the world right now, I guess. And I've started to sort of write sort of very deliberately from different viewpoints within song, and I'm not sure how I'll, how far I'll take that or um, if those songs will necessarily see the light of day. But I wrote a song for Perth Writers' Festival last week for a panel about gendered language and empowering the female body. And it was really interesting writing to a brief. They didn't ask for a song, but I just felt more comfortable writing in song for that topic. But I like the song that I've written, and I, I kind of am interested in maybe writing songs more in a more deliberate sort of thematic way but I don't know sometimes I don't know if that's quite what it is for me it's just it's something I'm exploring there clearly is in my view more than two genders so how important has that become for you as an issue oh I mean that's always been something an alive discussion in my personal world I also don't believe in a binary notion of gender and I think becoming a parent that becomes a lot more apparent because you just are a lot more aware of fostering a new being into the world without wanting those things to feel like they have felt forever you know culturally and and I'm definitely aware of that I mean in the children's tent behind me right now the there's a woman I just met who's presenting her children's book which is about a trans teddy bear I have a lot of trans friends and queer friends and Friends that identify in a lot of different ways and gender fluid ways and I think it's really fantastic that it is becoming a lot more of a kind of public discourse. I was pleased when I was in the States over Christmas and the National Geographic came out and it was the gender revolution issue and on the cover was, you know, a, a collection of people from various different gender identif- identification, gender fluid backgrounds or whatever, you know, and it just had like a really interesting table with different terms explained and so, you know, and everyone around the, the house I was living in, my mum was there, my mum read it and everyone was, older people were reading it, younger, everyone was like, this is interesting, you know, and I think it's, it's such an important discussion which is now finally um, becoming more of a mainstream, it, it, discussed in a more mainstream kind of forum. As a broadcaster, your mother, of course, is of great interest because uh, she was a broadcaster for a number of years. Still is. Still is, of course. Do you mind sharing with us how that might have actually influenced your decisions at a younger age? I think, I mean, everything influences you. So tomorrow is her 50th anniversary at the ABC as Please a broadcaster. Send my I shall. Um, I very much respect her career and how she has conducted herself professionally. They were just having their conversation about their holiday. Plans. I think that was the 18th they were going away, maybe the maybe 19th. The 19th. Um, maybe the 19th. I've definitely been influenced in the fact that because of my mother's job, I was definitely exposed as a child to a great deal of cultural kind of things of interest to me. Uh, reading and politics are, t- are two things that were big in our household, you know, current affairs. Um, 
music, the arts, all of the things that the Throsby family kind of, you know, which was my mother and also her brother and her sister and all of my cousins, you know, there's a lot of us are involved, a lot of my cousins are in academia, but there is certainly, it is an, it is an intelligent kind of family catch up at Christmas <laughs> and it's, it's interesting. I think that the way that I've been influenced by that is is just being a, a, a very avid consumer of culture and, and art. Do you remember any times where there was a moment where it was like, nah, mum, it's, it's, it's just not me. I don't agree with you. I'm going to do something else in my life. Was there ever a, a reactionary uh, stage? No, not like that. I mean, she's always been very supportive of, my, of what I do, like incredibly supportive. She had some very strong kind of um, philosophical beliefs. For example, she would always pay for my education, which I think is a really amazing thing because I, I have a lot of people that have hex debts and I'm I'm a very lucky and privileged person that doesn't have a hex debt because she, I mean, she could afford that, which is amazing, and I hope that I can afford to pay for my daughter's education. But she, yeah, she said always would make announcements like this, anything, any kind of education you want to get that she would pay for it. I mean, that kind of thing, amazing gift. So she was always happy for my interests to go where they went and her mother was a working musician she was a cellist in the Sydney Symphony Orchestra so she knew what it was like to to have a working musician in the family and they were very poor like they that was a you know that wasn't a big money situation working in as a you know in the SSO at the time so she understands that it's you know there's a, a, a large degree of financial insecurity I think with being in the creative arts and I think she might worry about that from time to time for me but she knows that that's just what I do and that's what I want to do and I think all creative people well <laughs> most creative people would rather deal with that insecurity than to give it all away I guess I would just move into the, the smallest house in the top of the country hill and, and still do it. If I remember rightly, even when you did have like a working job in a video store, it was an arts house video store, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I worked there for eight years. It wasn't a blockbuster. No, it was, it was like, wasn't a blockbuster. It was like the real deal arty. Kind yeah, of. it was a family run husband <laughs> and wife um, specialist video store. I loved it so much. Specialist. I know what it was. It was an art house cult. But we had, we had VHS tapes that you couldn't get anywhere in Sydney let alone the rest of Australia. This was before the internet. People would literally drive for hours and hours and hours to rent a John Waters film they couldn't find anywhere else or... They released La Bella La Bette, which was the you know a very early surrealist film, and they would you know release Un Chien Andalou, these really obscure kind of foreign and cult and schlock films and stuff. So I had this. I mean, I'm saddened now that a lot of my film knowledge has just disappeared. I can't remember so much. But when I was there, I was an absolute film expert, and I loved it. I was very sad to leave the job in the video store. It shut down because that's just what happens. Like, no video stores don't exist anymore, which is so sad for me because as I grew up, it was my favorite place to visit was the video shop I worked at a video shop I worked at a bookshop I worked programming music for airlines like at this company in Sydney that would program can you talk to us about that because (laughs) when I obviously as a broadcaster when I go on an airplane I look at the playlist for example I might see a Megan Washington or something I'll go okay but yeah, and, and you were responsible for that? I was responsible for certain channels, yeah. Like, yeah. I, at the time, actually, Qantas was running this film soundtrack channel. Great, because the guy that, that was the announcer um, was such a film buff, and I used to love, like, 
organising the program because I would make them thematic in terms of I'd do like three David Lynch kind of song, you know, like in a row, and then I'd link that through and, and maybe through Laura Dern to like an, a song from an, you know, I would link it through. And so he would have so much fun then doing the announcement and writing the script for it. But I was also, like, I did Royal Brunei Airlines and we did all these kind of like really I had seven airlines that I was programming and it was a really interesting job I didn't always do the really really mainstream top 40 channels but I did comedy too I used to piss myself laughing at work all the time like listening to stuff that I would then program Um, which yeah so it was a good job and this is this is all the jobs I was doing you know when I was making my first few records which was a fun fun thing to do at the same time you know I enjoyed sneaking stuff on I had a lot of easy listening channels to program so I would enjoy just sneaking on like really obscures, you know, I'm on spunk records and really obscure spunk releases. It was just so beautiful, but would never have been able to be played on an airplane. You'd put that in between, you know, Nora Jones or whatever, you know, the stuff that you kind of had to put on there. And then I'd sneak on something, <laughs> sneak on a really beautiful old Cat Power song or like some really I remember it was when Iron and Wine's The Creek That Drank the Cradle that first Iron and Wine record came out so I'd sneak Iron and Wine on and I'd sneak like Palace music or Smog or something just that kind of thing which was kind of fun I think the, ma- the mainstream audiences you can get you can get Mazzy Star on really easy it's, it just sounds so beautiful and it always reminds me Faith No More is easy like how that ever got on and it must have been probably someone like you putting an aeroplane and an executive going yep Faith No More is easy was a number don't you remember it was a number one hit I don't want to rem- I don't it was. I remember watching Rage all the time. That was number one. And I, I did actually learn how to play that on piano at the time when it was number one. Because I was, um, yeah, I was quite young. We spoke about your mother who celebrates 50 years of broadcasting mm-hmm. this year. But Holly Throsby is now a mother as well. And you touched on what sort of education you might be wanting to pass on. How has this motherhood experience been for you and your partner, but particularly for you? Oh, look, it's been, it's been so amazing. Like, I mean, it, we're totally exhausted, as all new parents are. Like, you're just exhausted for years. But it's a kind of exhaustion that I really, like, kind of enjoy in a way. And the, the hard thing for me now is going away because touring used to be so easy because, you know, it was just on the road and there was no responsibilities and it was now, and now you know, going away for tour is is very different for me and that's why I don't think I really will be doing much touring to be honest like this tour is a 10 date tour I used to do 20 25 I can't really do that anymore and that's okay because I'd kind of like to sit at home and write novels and be a mom and hang out with my family and it's really lovely to it's don't get me wrong like being here at Adelaide Writers Week is such a privilege to meet amazing authors and to be able to speak about your work is an amazing privilege but I miss my daughter and I can't wait to go home. (laughs) The album's called After a Time and there's one song on there I believe at least one song that is inspired if not dedicated to her. How much of influence is she on the future writings and recordings of Throsby? In terms of music maybe if I make another children's album that'll be you know you get a lot of ideas I mean all of the ideas I had for my first children's album were from hanging out with kids. They were just hang my my goddaughter, her brother, all of my friends' kids. I was late in my friend group to have a kid, like so I had a lot of little ones around that are just so hilarious and this crazy kind of associative wild thinking and ideas that pops out of their mouth. Like that's kind of really what inspired my children's album. And if I do another children's album I'm sure that my daughter and her kind of interests and stuff will inform that 
but yeah, I mean, there is a song on my new record called Mountain, which, which it definitely was inspired by having her. I don't know. I, it, that will wait to be seen in terms of how it influences me. I'm always, I'm mainly, I'm interested in you know human relationships and human psychology and the way people connect with each other. So it's kind of like all of the relationships in my life inform that and relationships of people that I know and see and imagine. We're in conversation with Holly Throsby. She's our very special guest on Radio Notes. You mentioned that of psychology, student of psychology? I'm certainly not. I wish now that I had done psychology. I did a double major in English and in uh, government and international relations, which is essentially politics. And I did a lot of... Sorry, I fell asleep. What was it? Oh, come on. I did a lot of uh, political theory and literary theory in my last year of university. And I, I mean, I did other subjects as well, but I never actually did study psychology. I do read a lot of psychology books, just interest. You're not talking about self-help books here, are you? You're talking about real hardcore psychologist theory. Sometimes I don't mind a good self-help book, to be honest. Depends how you classify a self-help book, though, because if you go to the airport these days, there's, like, this massive section on mindfulness. You know, like, that section? Someone with, like, How to be happy, how the brain works. I actually, like, in terms of those popular books about how the brain works, I do find them really interesting. I don't know. I don't think you'd probably classify them as self-help, but it's kind of, like, more like popular science or popular psychology. I do enjoy that, and I also do enjoy some more kind of rigorous texty type of things but I just I don't know I find it interesting I find all realms of the human brain fascinating what about the idea of talking about the human brain but politics and how people seem to be very wired to a particular kind of politic or a particular kind of view how they don't move from that I guess I would wonder if that's true I mean I think that what we're seeing now in politics there's a lot of swing voters in this country and my cousin exactly actually did a PhD on swing voters in Australia but it you know if we see what's happening now with the kind of split of the right and with the split of the left really I mean I was reading in the paper just the other day that a lot of the new one nation voters are actually old labor voters not necessarily old liberal or national voters so you're getting a lot of people that I think it's it's difficult in Australia because you can be socially left but you know economically right which is someone like Malcolm Turnbull and then you get in this problem trying to govern this party who's splitting off in all these various ways of being like how much more right can you get or how much more how much more center right or so I think you're aware that you're currently in Adelaide where we have a Santa Wong here and then we've got Bernardi over here. Yeah and like yeah I mean you couldn't get to more different (laughs) people but you've also got Nick Xenophon you know who's like a, a really interesting character in terms of kind of bringing specific issues into a kind of centre world and probably getting a lot of votes from people I mean everybody I think politics are always driven by people's personal experience whether that personal experience is being incredibly altruistic and um, etc or whether their personal experience is more you know a personal economic hardship or a Someone in my family is this, and so I feel this, or whatever. So it's, I think it is a malleable kind of thing in terms of I think people can easily go from to vote from one party to another because certain things will rise up in their life as being more important for various personal reasons. But at the same time, Holly, that's got to do with engagement of the issues as well. Is, is there an issue of the presentation of the issues when it comes to, around time to deciding? Yeah, I think it's a presentation of the issue and I think it's just also the momentum around issues. Like everything is kind of 
media cycle drives issue and so you know something like gay marriage just kind of goes up and down and up and down in terms of and asylum seeker refugee policy goes up and down and up and down I mean these things that particular issue I can't believe that people aren't talking about it every single day but of course there is a certain fatigue there's a massive fatigue that people get around certain issues and then another one kind of takes over whether it be coal or whether it be climate change or whether it be you know politicians entitlements or wiretapping in the in the Trump Tower or whatever very nebulous field and I think yeah often unfortunately driven by media interest have you changed your political views over the years not really no no I really I don't think I really have you said some of the songs you've been writing recently have been of a political nature and you may not release them that's because I think if political songs need to be very, very done very, very well, and I'm just, I'm only just, you know, when things are fresh, you're sometimes unsure. I don't know. I think that politics through art is a very t- a tough one. I would always go for a more subtle approach when it came to discussing politics within my work, I think. That's not to say that I don't like extremely political art because I think sometimes it's just the most powerful thing in the world, but it's not necessarily what I do. I I can be political in other ways. Who do you still want to collaborate with? Because at this stage in your career, you've got that chance to tap a couple of people on the shoulder. I don't really think of it like that. I, I think of it a lot more in terms of if I was to write something and the idea for... Like, for example, with the song with Mark, I just felt like I could hear his voice. As soon as I started writing it, I felt like it was his voice that would, was in my mind. So the song decides that. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, if of course, I, would, I really like doing those kinds of collaborations, but it's not like I would have a person in mind and think, oh, that person. It's more like it might just happen that way and that person might be in my mind and that person might feel like the right person to work with. The importance of letter writing just did Women of Letters in at Perth Writers' Festival and that was a really, really great event. I'd been asked to do it before and I'd turned it down because I was scared of... scared of it? <laughs> I was scared of, like... I was scared of writing the letter but I was also scared of mainly of having to read it out in front of an audience of people because I... People always think, oh, but you're a performer, why would you be scared of that? But, like, public speaking is really scary for me as well and so I was nervous about it but I was so glad that I did that. And I think letter writing is... I think it's a really important and sadly kind of lost art, especially because of how sort of bite-sized our communication has become. But I got this really beautiful email from a friend who I mentioned in an interview recently and he'd seen that I mentioned him in this interview and talked about how when we were in high school he was this person I connected with musically and, mm-hmm. and how important that was to me at the time. And he wrote me the, the loveliest letter because he didn't realise that I had felt that way and that it was an, it was important to me and he was saying I was so touched that you would even remember that you know because he's not a musician these days he's actually this incredible space photographer and he does these amazing space photos that NASA have used like I think it's that thing if you always look at other people what other people do and I just think wow I can't believe he does that how fantastic and amazing and I think he probably thinks oh wow you're a, you're a musician how amazing you know but he just sent me this really beautiful letter it was an email, but it was a very long email. And then I was just so touched by that because I think the thing about sitting down and writing to someone is that you express stuff that you don't really express when you're just talking. And sometimes it's nice to be to be reminded or to remind other people of how they've kind of affected you in 
ways. I mean, it's the same with giving cards. Like, I've I've gotten really into cards because I used to think that cards were just the annoying bit that goes on the present, and that you just like that may as well just write on the wrapping paper and just say here like happy birthday or whatever. But recently, after staying overseas with a family who are really heavily into cards and often at birthdays or Christmas they don't give presents they just give a card and then you open the card and it's got this long message in it and that's just so much more like how much more do I treasure that than I would treasure whatever gift they were going to give me like if it was going to be a pair of socks or something like but the card was so lovely and so now I'm like this card person (laughs) I think that everybody should be more card people letter, letter and card people because it's just a nice space to express the way you feel which you kind of just forget to do otherwise if holly throsby was to release a range of cards may they be greetings or birthday (laughs) apart from your good self which artist or artists would you get on board for that project i'm lucky i have a lot of friends that are artists and i so this could happen this could happen. I, one of my old friends, whose name is Agatha Goth Snape, we went to primary school together. She's such an amazing artist. I have another friend called Anna Willie Highfield, who's a sculptor, but she does photographic prints of her work, which are really beautiful. And then recently, like, I don't know their name, but they've got this, their Instagram is Minion Steel, and they did a tour poster for me recently. I just love the paintings so much. I keep just creeping on them on Instagram and sending them messages saying, can I buy that? And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, it's not for sale and it's embarrassing. And then I have to wait a couple more paintings before I message again. But, yeah, there are so many beautiful artists. There's a really good artistic community on the what they call the Coal Coast, which is the just north of Wollongong, which is south of um, Sydney. I like abstract paintings so and like colour and like different texture palettes I don't know I'd ask heaps of people I'd have a, this would be a great card range we'd get Mick Turner mm. guitarist yeah. and painter from Dirty Three get him he's done a series of art cards they're really beautiful this is a great idea we should start well, we should, should start yeah. discussing this because I was going to say that you've just re-released the children's CD but this sounds like a much more because everyone's doing tote bags it's like cards are the next yeah, thing you're getting me thinking <laughs> what is it about colour and your side of it, your engagement with it. I think colour in language is really important. I mean, I, I feel like, I hope that Goodwood has a lot of colour in that in its sort of lyricism. They've gone from greeting cards back to book. Yeah, well, I just think when I think about colour, I often think about... Um, language. Language, yeah. yeah. Like, to me, if I'm reading something that feels really flat, it's just not my thing. Like, I don't... I'm not, I'm not so into incredibly kind of stony, stark, serious emotionally flat kind of bare writing I like writing that feels really alive and vibrant and kind of conversational and in the vernacular and well Goodwood's very playful in a lot of parts yeah well it's kind of like a comedy I mean Goodwood is kind of a comedy to me although it is a it is also um, a mystery a kind of mystery story and a coming of age story as well but it, it is a comedy and I feel like, I hope that it has colour. Like, when I was writing it, I I tried to inject that into the prose. Which comedians are you enjoying at the moment? Oh, God, these questions are really left field. 
I don't actually get much time to consume these days in terms of like that kind of thing. Because so, the old ones you could name probably, the ones that used to inspire yeah, you. Yeah, but I did watch Trainwreck on the way home from the, on the plane the other day and I thought it was really funny. I think Amy Schumer is really funny. But yeah, I can't really answer that question because okay. I'm not... I mean, my partner loves Portlandia and just just that podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno. But I'm, I just don't have, I haven't had much time to consume any of these things. Do you consume the podcast well? or is it just the partner that does? Sometimes I just need to have a clear brain and just to have space in my head. Whereas other times I go through stages of just needing constant company and information and stimulation. But when I'm doing this kind of work, talking about work and practising to play and all that stuff, I feel a little bit like I need more space. So I like silence. Well, Holly Throsby, it's been an absolute beautiful joy to speak with you. Thanks very much and congratulations on both the book and the CD. Thank you very much for having me. Holly Throsby, latest album, After Time, and the popular children's album, See, have had a recent reissue. Books penned are Goodwood and the latest Cedar Valley, both available through Allen and Unwin. More on Throsby online at hollythrosby.com. Theatre, walking the floorboards, acting and all that. But what about Fat Cat? Well, Ralph Hatzik, who used to play Fat Cat, is starring in an Adelaide Fringe show with the lovely Steve Davis called Two Cats on a Hot Fringe Roof. Part of it will be directed by Glenn Nicholas of The Big Gig. For more details, adelaidefringe.com.au. If you're not in Adelaide, then Play School's Jay Lagaya will be doing Peter Pan Goes Wrong in Melbourne, Brisbane, Canberra, Sydney and Perth. More details about that show at peterpangoeswrong.com.au. I mentioned earlier, Undulated by All India Radio has been released in the last week as we record. It's out through Dynamo Tapes, and when I mentioned that, I forgot to mention that tapes actually means cassette tape. You'll be able to get more details on that, allindiaradio.com.au. In the last week or so, there was an announcement, unfortunately, with sadness, that Olivia Newton-John was in her last days suffering quite badly with the cancer that she's had for quite a while now. Now, I have put my feelers out to get details on whether or not that's actually true or not, and my understanding is, I haven't got the full details back yet, she's doing all right, she's fine, as fine as she can be. But other news that I do know of and have had confirmed is that Tara Simmons, a 34-year-old Brisbane singer-songwriter, is likely only got weeks to live. She won't see the age of 35. That's a reality that's kind of sticking a little bit hard for me at the moment because she's an outstanding, not just singer, songwriter, but also a very strong-minded individual as well. My thoughts, of course, go out to Olivia Newton-John with all the struggles that she has and is continuing to have, but also to Tara Simmons. Sincerely send the best and hope that uh, recovery is a possibility for her in the not-too-distant future. Not the best of news to share with you, but this is just the realities of life. And so if you haven't checked out Tara Simmons' music, that's T-A-R-A-S-I-N-N-O-N-S. It's not too late to do so. You can check out some of her music. She's been releasing it for over a decade or so now. Speaking about music, a brand new release is coming out next month from the Lockie Dolly group. Lockie Dolly, originally from Adelaide, the album will be called Make or Break. It is Hammond Organ Blues. He's been working with the likes of Jimmy Barnes. This, in fact, 
will be his fifth studio album, recorded at Rancom Street Studios in Botany and mixed by the wonderful people at Free Energy Device Studios in Camberdown. What I'll do for you is I'll give you some details at the radionotespodcast.com website to where you can find this as well as some of Tara's music as well as a brand new Juliana Hatfield record, Weird, that I've been seeing some wonderful reviews for and very much looking forward to listening to. Those in America have sort of already got a chance of the pre-listen. I'm still waiting patiently for it. But something you don't need to wait patiently for, time to... Dive into the archives. I have unscripted this interview for good reason because she is an absolute darling who'll go off the rocket on whatever (laughs) topic she feels like. Katie Manning, thank you very much for joining me. If I, if I do start coughing a lot and sound like I'm an actress with dreadful galloping consumption, please forgive me. I decided to arrive in this country dragging with me something I never get in England, but I decided the day I was travelling to bring with me some ghastly English disease. So what's his name? Just carry on. Oh, yeah, well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Let's be upfront. At least for the last decade or so, you've been lucky enough to be curling up to a great Australian singer. Are you still there? Are you still enjoying his company? Over a decade, my darling Barry. Yes, we, I mean we've, we've, I've always kept my own fat, and you know one thing. But we've been together for about twenty-four years now. Wow, that's longer than I thought. Yes, everything's longer than we think. <laughs> I leave that alone. Yes, I mean, if you're going to come and live in Australia, because I came over here because my children, I have twins, Georgie and JJ, were both extremely sick and very premature. And after much, you know, sort of sleeping in hospitals and going and doing shows, you know, I was in the West End and went to sleep in a hospital, do the show, get back to the hospital, I decided that um, I needed a warmer climate. And my girlfriend in America said, well, come over here. And I said, no, it doesn't feel right. And I knew one person in Australia. And so um, two suitcases, two children and one telephone number. And uh, to get my children's health back, this wonderful country of yours did exactly that. And I thought I'd only be here for about six months a year and ended up by staying for, you know, over 20 years. And if we're saying 20 years, Barry's career... His goes on forever. His career is older than I am. It is the season. It's that time of the year where he is basically, well, you know, doing some work with the beard and everything else. Oh, well, that was all my idea, that the beard grew and that he... Because, we know, obviously he did banjo, which we toured around Australia... Um, which I directed and we put together, we worked together on that. We've done a lot of that and he directed me and me and Jezebel, which was my one-woman show about Betty Davis, which I ultimately took to London and to the Edinburgh Festival and so on. And he did this wonderful show. About, we'd be working together, being creative together. And then I, you know, with his first book, I was there helping him with that. Beyond just, you know, partners, in life, we're also partners in our love and passion for this glorious business that we're both blessed to be in. Obviously, you do the actoring, as a Julia Morris calls it. No, no, Julia Morris is actoring. I say actoressing. I, I still believe I don't like this, you know, female actor, male actor. I, you know, I'm an actress. I don't have a problem with that. And, oh, that'll cause some problems. <laughs> oh, the, the feminist in me is suddenly offended with you. Well, you shouldn't be, sweetie. You oh. see, I don't have a problem. I'm even a miss when they say, are you miss? I go, no, I don't like that word. It's got, does it sound nice? I don't like the, the onomatopoeia of miss. But I do like miss. I think it's rather sweet. <laughs> <laughs> 
never been married, contrary to everything that you may read on the totally demented Wikipedia, where I think I've had five husbands. I've never had one. Actually, I was just going to check that. Don't even, darling. No. You know, it says on that, you know, gave birth to twin goldfish. There's also, it must be photoshopped images of you in the Nada Nadalik then. You know, it's one of those things that you do. It'll always be there, darling. So I shall always... It's there. It's there forever. I remember a little boy once said to me, he said, I, I, got, I got a picture of you and, and I've got no clothes on in a book. Right, because, you know, they decided to put it in some of the big Doctor Who books. And I said, well, no, darling. I said, the Doctor and I had to go and save the world and I didn't have time to get dressed. But this was some years I did that after Doctor Who, hmm. contrary to, once again, popular belief that I did it while I was doing it. It was about three years later. I'm going to turn off my Wikipedia screen now. Everybody should turn off their... I mean, violently believe that nobody should ever have Wikipedia. You always hear every actor laugh when you mention Wikipedia. By the way, you, you did get divorced. I did I've find... never been married, so where's my alimony? There you go. And I saw Rainer Borton not that long ago, and he said, "Did we?" He said, "Newspapers never divorced us." I said, "I know." Talking to Stuart Bevan, who was the actor who, Professor Jones, when I left Doctor Who, and you know, back then the press used to marry me off a lot. Mm. That had to do with the social norms at the time, wasn't it? It was <clears throat> unacceptable for you to be an unmarried woman that so successful. Well, you know, I don't know about that, darling. As I say, I tease you about being a miss and an actress, although I do actually prefer the words. But, you know, I don't know what was going on then, darling. It was the 70s. I mean, I, there were no rules as far as I was concerned, except always be nice and understanding and compassionate to people. That's all I understand in life. You've been very compassionate with Barry. Like I adore my man. And, you know, as I say, if you're going to come and live in Australia, what greater Australian can you have in your life? than the legend Barry Crocker. The full ta and I love his new series, Strange Tales. I think it's wonderful, and I think he's brilliant in it. And I think the boys who put that together, it's an extraordinary piece of television. I love it. What is it about Australian TV? Oh, well, it's a bit hard for me to say that. I'm talking about a programme here. Mm. Um, I also love the project, the way that's presented. I think that's terrific. Really, in, in all honesty, much as I've always loved Australia and, you know, it's been one of the most wonderful things I've ever done and having toured right across the outback and played the, you know, the opera house, I feel that I've done everything that I can do here. And, of course, I had my own chat show on Foxtel on UK TV. I mean, you know, I had a wonderful career here. But I... I'm a woodland Viking. I need. I don't do the heat very well, so summer was always a big problem for me. As I say, I love this country passionately, and I've lived in America for many years, and I also love America, not quite so much as Australia. Um, but I really needed to go home. I'm home, and, you know, it was lovely. And to get back and to have Russell T. Davis say, you know, would you come and reprise your Joe Grant 40 years on? I mean, that was a delightful thing to be given to do. And I'm doing a huge amount of audio over there. I wrote a play called Not A Well Woman, which you can actually get on iTunes. Katie Manning, Joe Grant of Doctor Who, speaking to me back in 2013 from the archives. At the end there, she was talking about Not A Well Woman, which is available from iTunes. There is plenty of other work available from her as well. Check on the Googles, but as in her opinion, maybe avoid Wikipedia for that. As that were just the first part of the interview, maybe you'll hear a little bit more of that extended chat back from 2013 here on Radio Notes.
radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 